If you stop and think about everything happening here in the good old U.S. of A., you might believe that there are only two sides to every story. Actually, there are many more sides. At last count, there were over 327 million sides to our American story. On this program, we'll take a look at different stories, from a different point of view. Mine. Hopefully, after listening, absorbing, and actually thinking about what you hear, it might just become your point of view as well. I'm Steve, and this is The Truth Hurts. When you stop and really think about each and every controversy brought before you, each side to the most popular arguments and each point of view, for example, in politics, you quickly realize that there are radical viewpoints on either side. After all, if you wanted to argue about red onions versus yellow onions, for example, it wouldn't make for much of a show. I don't think you would get large swaths of the population to rally behind one or the other, to be honest. Same goes for arguments about rice versus noodles, concrete versus asphalt. As a species, arguments seem to be part of the human experience. As they say in Texas, the bigger the better. It is for that reason that the size of the argument is in direct proportion to the size of the audience. Coke versus Pepsi? Ford versus Chevy? There's a bigger argument but still not big enough to have a fringe group of radicals so hell-bent in support of their camp and even more hell-bent on total destruction of the other camp that they would literally start a war over the topic, if they could. As an argument grows in size and scope, so does the size of the groups of protagonists and antagonists on either side. Once the differing opinion grows into ire at sufficient levels, much like starch pouring over the side of a boiling pot of rice, a radical byproduct always develops. In the Coke versus Pepsi debate, I don't ever recall anyone burning down a Pepsi warehouse or bombing a Coke factory. In the case of Ford versus Chevy, I don't see any record of massive protests at the White House on the issue. Many people fail to realize that in Ford versus Chevy, Some people choose to buy a Dodge, or a Toyota, or a Mercedes, or a Yugo, or even a bicycle. Those people, along with the ones not chanting for Ford or shouting Chevy in the streets, make up the 90% of average Americans who might prefer one or another, but are not willing to lose friendships, jobs, or even family over such a silly dispute. In fact, I don't recall any divorce proceedings that were ever based on the notion of she bought a Ford or he bought a Chevy. I can't recall any breakups on the news over I caught him drinking a Pepsi or she actually had the nerve to drink a Coke in front of me. No, in all my years in media and in life in general, I don't recall any angry marches on the state house because someone drank a Pepsi or mixed their favorite bourbon with Coke. Why? Well, it's because 90% of the people either choose to not make those products the hill in which they want to die on, or they keep it quiet. I believe if you poll 90% of the population, 
you might find that many drink Dr. Pepper, Sprite, Mountain Dew, milk, water, wine, whiskey, gin, diet this, diet that, zero sugar this. And yes, some even drink Coke and Pepsi. And wait for it, some people even drink both and they just don't give a damn about it. Let's look at something much more controversial. LSU versus Alabama, Ohio State versus Michigan, Steelers versus Packers, Orioles versus Yankees. There are fans on either side of each of those rivalries. But in the grand scheme, there are also fans of other teams who could literally give zero craps about the ones mentioned before. The Gonzaga folks could care less about LSU versus Alabama. An Astros fan likely doesn't give one single damn about the feud between the Orioles and Yankees. Yes, they are the 90%. So why do we choose politics as that evil 10%? And do we really do so? Or is it the media who fools us into thinking that it has to be one way or the other? I would venture to guess that 90% of the population feels the same on about 90% of the issues. So let's break a few of them down. War. 90% are probably against it. Poverty. 90% are likely against it. COVID-19. 90% are likely against it. A good economy. 90% of the population is probably for it. The general health of people. Again, 90% likely for it. Access to clean water. I would hope that's 100, but hey, 90% are likely for it. Get the picture? We are so focused on the 10% garbage that we're willing to shout it from the mountaintops on one side or the other. And the issues are more likely to be the least important are the ones that we will argue for or against until the cows come home and then they'll tell us we need to complain about the cows. In my observations, I find that there are some obvious differences to certain groups of people and how they act and react to issues in which they disagree. Some will try to belittle you as a person and your opinion if they disagree. Others will simply understand your right to your opinion and after being unable to dissuade you, they will move on to another topic and drop the issue altogether so that the 90% remainder of your relationship remains intact. Some will argue with you for the sake of arguing, even after you have provided them with ironclad facts showing your position to be the correct one, out of sheer stubbornness, recalcitrance, or plain old-fashioned ignorance. And by ignorance, in this context, I mean a conscientious choice to ignore something. Let's face it, most people go about their daily lives paying very little attention to politics. If it weren't for the media, I would venture to say that they wouldn't even realize it exists. It's not just just not something they care to discuss or concern themselves with. But the media makes you think that there's something wrong with you if you are not for one and against another. It's the 5% on one side plus the 5% on the other side that make up the 10% who will never, under any circumstances, change their opinion, change their mind, change their point of view, no matter what. I often mention how some people make a living stirring the pot. Some actually earn money through donations, grants, or salaries just so that they can continue shouting from the mountaintops their point of view. They are, for lack of a better term, paid pot stirrers. 
For example, let's take a certain reverend of a certain non-existent church that has made tax-free millions of dollars for decades using a made-up charity espousing a certain cause. The cause seems to be the equality of a certain group of people who have supposedly been kept down in society. The cause claims to be the unification of all people. However, this individual stirs the pot at every turn, hoping to garner the ire of both sides, all for the benefit of what? His own financial growth and fame, of course. The more people scream on one side or the other of the issue he creates and perpetuates, the more the donations roll in. He is on the 5% of one side. And, of course, as would be expected, there are people radical people in the 5% on the other side. Guess what? They too are making money to support their opposition. Not an opposition to the ideal that the so-called reverend claims to be fostering, the idea, uh, the idea of peace and harmony, but they are in opposition to the method, the marches, the protests, and the strife created and perpetuated by the so-called reverend each and every time he calls out the remaining 90% of the country for their alleged apathy to the ideal itself. Just as the D's have mounted an all-out attack on the R's and the R's have mounted an all-out attack on the D's, it is the 90% in the middle who really just don't care who are caught in the constant barrage of media attention and focus. Now, it's my opinion that the D's have tried every dirty trick in the book and they're still writing new chapters of that book to attempt a coup, an impeachment, a removal of office for the President of the United States. That 5% has the full cooperation of the media playing day and night to try and persuade and dissuade the 90% in the middle. The 5% has found a way to manipulate the system. They found a way to militarize a virus now against the president. They're using the media to promote their false accusations of that president. All because every other attempt they've made has failed. To militarize this virus against the president in hopes of an outcome that they're hoping for come November, they have ignored several facts facts that it takes time to develop tests for a new virus. It takes time to produce those tests in large numbers. It takes time to distribute those tests to an entire nation. It takes time to develop a potential vaccine and cure. It takes time to make sure the cures have no bad side effects. It takes time to distribute the vaccine to a nation. It takes time to administer the vaccine. It takes time for the vaccine to take effect. And it takes time, most likely, around the November elections, for the nation to heal. But they're keeping that hope open that if a particular president gets re-elected, they can continue to use COVID-20, COVID-21, 22, and 23 to ensure the R's don't get another chance in 2024. They're hoping and praying, plotting and planning, strategizing and scheming, using the daily media reports to scare you, 
to scare you into blaming this president for a virus. They play the race card to make sure that certain groups think there's a conspiracy against certain groups. Purposely refusing to tell the American people the truth that it was actually the governors who failed to plan for, prepare for, and stock supplies in response to this, as well as any, disaster. They're timing the crisis to directly affect how you vote in November. All because their prior three and a half years of false allegations, fake news, phony dossiers, made-up stories, coup attempts, and out-and-out lies have failed to remove a duly elected president of these United States of America. 90% of the people really only truly care about a few things. One, their own little world, that little pond in which they swim. Is there food? Is there a job? Is there school? Is there medicine if we get sick? Are the streets paved? Is the garbage being collected? Is the water clean? Number two, are they still free to do whatever it is they do on a daily basis? And number three, are we at war? Are we in direct physical danger of an attack, an invasion, or something else? That's it. The rest will take care of itself like it has since the dawn of time. You are listening to this and any other opinion on matters outside of one, two, and three above. That's it. You're either a critical thinker, which if you are, I applaud you, or you are one of the 5% who thinks steadfastly one way or 5% who thinks concretely the other way. There's always a benefit to stirring the pot, a benefit to all sides. One benefit is that you might just learn something. The other benefit is I might learn something. The agitators, those who carry the big spoons for stirring the pot, are the ones most likely to benefit from stirring that pot. You see, as I said before, some people make a living and get their continual rotating 15 minutes of fame by stirring the pot. This podcast will be 14 minutes. And in this podcast, I give you my opinion. I apologize if my opinion offends you, but it is my constitutionally guaranteed right to give you my opinion. Therefore, I retract nothing. It's up to you to either agree or to disagree. But remember, in the end, <laughs> the truth hurts. 